Welcome to the Tech Cat Show with host Lori H. Schwartz. Each week we hear from established leaders in the technology and consumer industry. Finding out the scoop should never be this much fun. Now, here is your host, Lori H. Schwartz. Hi, everyone. This is Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat, bringing you tech trends impacting your business. And today's show is dedicated to another event I attended last week called Innovate and Celebrate, which is part of the Consumer Technology Association series of events that they throw throughout the year. And um, if you're not familiar with CTA, they also put together one of the biggest technology shows um, globally, which is called CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, and that takes place uh, in January um, in Las Vegas, where my company, StoryTech, actually walks brands, technology companies, uh, entertainment companies, and all sorts of people around the show floor to bring context to all the fantastic technology that's being demonstrated there. So Innovate and Celebrate, which took place in San Jose, is basically an opportunity for CTA to bring together its members, a bunch of tech startups, industry thought leaders, venture capitalists, investors, tech media folks, and journalists, of course, to really talk about some of the top trends happening in the space as an event almost road to CES in preparation for that big event in Las Vegas. So today, I want to bring you five interviews of people that represent the ecosystem that CTA often brings together. Um, You walk the halls of uh, CES or even at this event, Innovate and Celebrate, and there are just famous people everywhere who have done tremendous things in the consumer electronics business to move things forward. And so we're going to hear from a variety of folks. But before we jump into those interviews, I wanted to take you through five technology trends to watch that CTA announced at their event last week. The first trend is called voice assistance. And that is basically like Siri or like Alexa from Amazon's Echo, basically um, any sort of voice-activated computer assistant helping you through your day. The next trend is called augmented reality, and this, of course, is the ability to overlay digital information on an environment through some sort of glasses, camera, something like that, a screen. Um, The third trend is around transportation, which is talking about what's going on with ride sharing. Um, I mean, I'm certainly addicted to Uber and Lyft right now. And also what's happening with autonomous vehicles, which are really changing uh, the automotive business. The fourth trend is digital health, which is basically the ability to use sensors to track health data. And that's really going to allow all of us to take better control of our health and also provide a lot of needed information alerts and warning signs to caregivers, um, as well as, you know, keep uh, medical professionals um, really up to date with all the latest information about your health. And the last technology trend is sports technology. Whether you're a spectator or you're competing, sports tech is going to allow you to have the latest data so that you can really understand what your body is doing or what your favorite athlete is doing through those same sensors that we were talking about in digital health. So just a quick recap, the five technology trends to watch from Celebrate and Innovate were voice assistance, 
augmented reality, transportation, digital health, and sports technology. And again, to set up today's show, I'm going to be um, taking you through five interviews. The first one is with Robert Highbloom from Blue Solve. And Blue Solve is basically a company that helps consult with a goods manufacturer or providers of OEM technology or wholesales or distributors how to get consumer products to market. And this business is changing so fast with crowdsourcing and with rapid prototyping and with all the different things that are changing in manufacturing and distributing. It's really important to have a smart a smart strategy about how to move through this if you have a product idea. So Robert's going to talk to us about how he's helping businesses. Then we got to talk to uh, actually a consumer electronics uh, legend, Noel Lee from Munster. And Munster is a company that was founded in 1979 by Mr. Lee, and it's well known for its audio and visual cables and other audio equipment. Um, You may have them in your house uh, now. You'll recognize them by the gold-plated plugs and things like that. But really where um, Noel Lee has become a big innovator was that he introduced Beats, the Beats audio products. And he was managing that from 2006 until 2012. Um, And now there's some stuff going on with Apple and uh, Munster. But more importantly, he's launching flashy headphones that are really gaining traction in key markets by partnering with celebrities and doing all sorts of wonderful things. And these are very high-end hand headphones. In fact, he was wearing some beautiful headphones when I talked to him. And he's quite the character um, and quite a legend um, in the consumer electronics space. So you'll enjoy hearing from him. The next interview was with Ryan Paplin from Metavision, and Metavision is one of the up-and-coming companies that is producing augmented reality glasses, and they're doing it in a different way and bringing AR to the consumer. So a lot of AR discussions, augmented reality discussions, has been um, from an enterprise perspective, from business to business, but Metavision is all about bringing it to consumers. So Ryan has some really interesting insights for us on where AR is going. Then we talked to Gail Carpenter from TechSoup. And TechSoup is basically a company that connects nonprofits, foundations, and libraries with tech products, services, and learning resources. And she's basically created an API of charities so that if you have technology or services, software, things that you want to give to charity, whether it's for tax donations or just really for social good purposes, Gail's platform on TechSoup is connecting the dots. So it's really fascinating what they've built there. And then lastly, the fabulous Robin Raskin from Living in Digital Times, which is a company that helps create expos and events at trade shows like the Consumer Electronics Show, where she introduces new trends and gathers together all the players to help bring context to that. She was one of the first people to create a conference and expo floor around mommy tech 
and fitness and kids tech and all sorts of things like that. And you see her every year at the Consumer Electronics Show, but constantly launching new important trends and helping people really understand what's going on. So we have five great interviews coming up on the Tech Cat Show today. I hope you enjoy them. It was a wonderful uh, couple of days at Celebrate and Innovate put together by the Consumer Technology Association, CTA, on the road to CES. This is Lori H. Schwartz, your Tech Cat. Enjoy. Lori here, your Tech Cat, and I am recording live from CES Innovate, which is a yearly event where CES gathers a lot of uh, technology providers, their partners, thought leaders, and starts to talk about a lot of the technology trends that we're all going to be seeing in January 2017th in Las Vegas. So I'm here today about to get into a fabulous interview with Robert Heiblum, who is the principal at Blue Solve. And Robert, tell us what you're doing here today. Well, um, we're here working with uh, the CTA and all of these innovators, and essentially we're here to try and help them identify their problems and overcome them. Well, all startups and innovators uh, by, almost by nature have limitations, and may, many times they may have knowledge gaps, and so we can help them a lot by filling in the knowledge gaps. It's very interesting. We, we see a lot of innovation here, and we see a lot of people trying to introduce new products and services on various platforms like Kickstarter and others. Yet you'll notice that in a lot of those cases, it's clear that the entrepreneurs run into a lot of problems. Uh, many of these projects, you know, turned out they didn't know how much it was really going to cost and how difficult it might really be. And so we see a lot of times people are frustrated because their favorite project they wanted to fund ran behind or didn't quite deliver what they wanted or ended up costing a lot more. So those are sort of things that we can certainly help uh, people with because we've been down that road literally thousands of times. And uh, we understand the industrial backbone around the world to build these sorts of products. So a lot of what you do is help companies who want to make something a technology device and you help them get to the final making of it? Yeah, actually we look at the entire product life cycle. So it really doesn't matter where it is. Um, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. So for some people it is, I have this idea, but I don't know how to get it made. Uh, other people say, well, I have a design, but I don't know where and how to get it made at the right price. Still others are saying, okay, I've made it, but how do I go to market with it? How do I sell it? How do I get in there? And still others need to understand that, you know, it's an iterative process. It will never end. You're on a treadmill. And so you have to understand also how to do a postmortem about what you're doing. Some, in some cases, we can help a lot of people because we can come to them with data, data on the sizes of the market, data on who is buying it, why they're buying it, so that they can assess. In a lot of cases, particularly for big companies as well as little companies, sometimes in this industry, the difference between success and failure is inventory management. So it's just actually accurately making a good guess of how many will sell. I know everybody loves their product and service, but it doesn't always mean they're going to sell 10 million. And maybe if they only sold 10,000, they could do really good. The question is, is if you sell 10,000, how many do you have left? If you sold them through, you're probably in great shape. 
But if you have another 50,000 in the barn, you're probably in big trouble. So the definition of success here is often based on how you're actually planning it. Things like how to properly price it requires what are the channel margins? Well, that depends on who your partners are. And in many cases, people say, well, I want to do this with them, but they don't know what the channel partner is going to ask. And if you do this in a linear fashion, meaning you make the product and then you start to go to market, you're usually going to be in trouble. So it's good at the beginning to get good inputs and, for instance, put together a proper P&L, proper pricing on your product to really anticipate the missing things. Now, meanwhile, most entrepreneurs or inventors and startups, they either don't have the staff or they just don't know. And, you know, in most cases, just like for me, personally, if I had known what I was going to do, I might not have done it. So I don't have a problem. That that is definitely (laughs) true of a lot of my life decisions. Let me ask you, are there any innovations or trends in product manufacturing and distribution that are just popping up right now that are really impacting people's go-to-market strategies, like the Indiegogos and the Kickstarters that are sort of creating a platform? Well, I'd say yes. I mean, you mentioned them. We can start with that, which is the whole crowdfunding uh, mechanism, which, you know, it's a mixed bag because a lot of people don't know what it will cost to make the product. So they may think they have enough and not. But on the other hand, it's a fabulous way of testing your product in advance, getting a judgment of demand, and frankly, marketing it and having a proof point. So successful we see it now being the launch section on Amazon because it clearly is, is important. On top of that, there's a very developed industrial backbone for many products, meaning in the past, we often had to make every product from scratch. But now, in fact, there's lots of products where the building blocks of the products are well-defined and there's lots of manufacturing for them. So it becomes easy. Uh, You know, in in the CE space, for instance, if you want to make a computer or a headphone or or a smartphone, there's plenty of manufacturers and you can put modularly together your product offering. So it's easier than ever to make the product. That's the good thing. The bad thing is it's easier than ever to make your product. So you have to really think much more about differentiating your product and really thinking through how you're going to go to market. And again, if you don't know, well, then hopefully you ask somebody for some help and there's plenty to get. Are are there a lot of people now looking at um, some of the greener trends in product manufacturing? So being very um, careful about, you know, resources? Well, I I would say not only is there a lot of that, but it's really mandatory. If you're not on that side of it, you know, you're just on the wrong side of history. And so we see that everywhere, even even in, you know, dirty places like China, we see more and more factories actually being paying attention to it. And you as an innovator really should. Now, the, the harsh truth of it is, is that consumers say they want green products, but they don't want to pay anymore for them. That's the truth. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And the good news is the general supply chain is moving that way simply because that's the right side of history, if you will. And more and more retail partners are asking those questions and trying to get out in front of it. As an industry, if we're in tech, you know, tech is wonderful, but not everybody likes some of the outcome of it. If we leave everybody with a pile of recycling, we're not going to be happy. So we have to be thinking about eliminating dangerous chemicals and thinking about how we're going to recycle this stuff, how we comply. I would say the good news is the tech industry is doing a lot of that, but we need to make that more evident to consumers and and be prouder of our efforts in that. 
All right, last question. I, I know you work on a lot of different projects. Is there anything that's coming out soon, any new cool device that we could get really excited about that you've been involved with? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm doing work on uh, virtual reality and augmented reality stuff, primarily to um, do things to try and improve the optic systems so that we can minimize, you know, you puking into your headset. That's I would appreciate you helping me there. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, there's plenty of innovation on deck in the uh, audio space. Um, we'll, we'll see some major stuff, which is, I think, will make a big step up in terms of sound quality for everybody. Everybody loves music, and there you go. I think that the uh, always listening systems paired with uh, deep, you know, deep learning and AI, as we just had a great lecture on, are really going to be important. And so I see uh, many of us looking at, you know, devices that will always be available to listen. The products like the Echo is really just the beginning as we make our homes smarter and our environments more smart. So there's plenty of that. There's plenty of work in uh, the automotive space, making vehicles safer and smarter and potentially able to drive themselves. So you can see the list is pretty, pretty long, and it's in almost every sector. But the rules are still the same, which is um, there's a lot of availability, and you have to think uh, what makes yours different, who's it really for, how am I going to get out in front of them. Um, so there's, a, there's far more good products than there are necessarily good organized paths to market. Got it. And Robert, where can we find out more about what you're doing at BlueSolve? Are you tweeting? Do you write? Uh, where, where can we learn more about you? I, I do. Obviously, you can come to my website, which isn't all that enticing, but you can get in touch with me, which is bluesolve.com. Um, we also, because we're here at CTA, we offer the CTA offers mentoring programs, which are free to entrepreneurs and startups or even big companies. And I'm a mentor, and I'm very proud of doing that. So you can, call, you know, you can contact me directly, Robert at Blue South or come to my website or you can come to almost any of these events that we hold and not only I or people like me are around I'm I'm one of many so it's it's nice it's like giving back this industry has been really good to me so I I really get a lot out of giving back to people that's fantastic so we've been chatting with Robert Highbloom Bloom right I was worried about that (laughs) from Blue South Okay, Lori Schwartz, your tech cat, and we are broadcasting at CES Innovate. And I am so lucky to have just run into kind of a very famous person in the CES world, which is Noel Lee, who is the head Munster, but really he's running Munster, which is a very famous company for audio accessories and products and headphones. So all those fabulous things that you use to plug in things that say Munster, this is the guy. (laughs) So I'm so excited to get to run into you, and you're standing on a Segway, which is so much fun. That's my transportation. The Segways should pay me or give me free Segways at least. (laughs) I love it how you're standing here too because you're just like moving back and forth a little bit. So tell us about Munster. Like what what is the big story right now? What's your focus for the company? Well, you know, the big story, and it's really appropriate for us, is uh, really the consumption of uh, content. Okay, so meaning, uh, you know, there's not much money to be made in um, music uh, and uh, other content that is being streamed. The artists don't get their money. Uh, retailers have a hard time with that, and even the companies themselves, like uh, Spotify or Pandora, 
you know, is looking for that uh, uh, monetizing model. But, uh, you know, we're focusing on not what the content is, but how you consume it, meaning it has to taste great. It has to sound incredible. Okay, and uh, our latest technologies in both headphone and our uh, latest invention called the Monster Blaster. It's a, a reinvention of the boombox, bringing music sharing back, but in a modern, uh, hip kind of way. So it's all uh, Bluetooth, rechargeable batteries, uh, NFC, you know, all the kind of things you would expect, you know, to uh, mate with your devices. But it just blows the top of any preconception how you think uh, audio can sound how and how good it sounds. Even MP3. I mean, everybody... Bags on MP3, but uh, you'll be amazed what you can do with it. Well, I, I noticed you're wearing some headphones around you that are just gorgeous. And this is the other thing that I've seen happen at CES is that accessories now are gorgeous. And they're designed with such thoughtfulness. And so now people are taking pride in the accessories that they have. So is that part of your bigger vision? Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd have a hard time selling an ugly car no matter how good it, uh, how good it performed. But... Uh, no, it's fashion. Okay, we were just at uh, Fashion Week. We're going to be uh, participating next week in uh, I Am Art Festival. So it's really a fusion of uh, what the artists are doing. Uh, I mean, painters, sculptors, uh, you know, as well as uh, musicians. Uh, and uh, what the fashion community is doing. Because uh, I, I think we made a good start in showing that headphones and blasters and those kind of things can be part of who you are, just like a sneaker is, uh, like a baseball cap or a T-shirt. You know, kind of defines. Okay, I got the, I get that person. He's worn, you know, or a 24k goals, and he's uh, a real uh, baller kind of person. Or uh, oh, this this person is very conservative, and he's wearing black, and he's chic. So uh, you know, I think at the you know a selection of a uh, product for audio, and especially an accessory. You've got to pay attention how it looks. You know, in the old days of having my headphones look like, uh, you know, a doctor's stethoscope or something, you know, you, you can't do that anymore. But, uh, you know, the people follow on suit. Everybody's paying attention to style. Uh, to it look good. What, what's your thinking on what, what Apple announced with the headphone jack and all of that? Does that make sense to you? Obviously, you're creating all these great wireless products. So, You know, I, I, uh, first of all, I don't know what they're thinking because... Uh, to me, it, it, it talks. It speaks of uh, big company arrogance. You know, I'm reminded of uh, Sony when they did the memory stick, uh, yeah, the uh, mini disc, and you know, yeah, it, it's uh, you know, it's our way or the highway. And to uh, really obsolete the multi millions of uh, headphones out there in a flash, okay, I I think is unconscionable. Okay. Uh, because you got to have some backward compatibility, because you don't obsolete everything just to look forward in the future. And I would say, you know, digital uh, output out of a lightning jack is not new. You know, you can do that on the Android. Uh, you've been able to do that for the last five years. So you know, you can take a Samsung or a BlackBerry or any of those, and we have a digital audio input. So one of the things that we're adapting to is the ability to do not a only an analog wire. But you can take the digital output and put it right into the headphone. So, you know, I'm for the digital output. I'm not for removing the headphone jack. That's, that's very well stated. Now, are there any new products coming out in the next few months that you can uh, give us a little, you know, heads up on? Well, you know, we're about to uh, release some things, you know, that might be critical of uh, 
what Apple is doing, but you know we're uh, we're going to be making some iPhone Seven compatible uh, headphones where you can take the lightning output. And uh, you know, Apple hasn't really talked about how great that sounds, but and we're doing our own tests on it. But the the difference of taking a digital output all the way to the headphone is uh, pretty remarkable. And I look forward to educating consumers at uh, that next level of listening. You know, as well as the convenience of Bluetooth. I think our, our Bluetooth sounds incredible. Um, but if you want the ultimate, ultimate, state-of-the-art, best possible sound, taking digital all the way to the headphone, not using any cables, although that was our business, Monster Cable, okay, that uh, you know, when you run through cable, you got distortion. So we want to uh, keep it as clean as possible all the way to the headphone. And so all our new products will have that, the Elements line and uh, the Clarity line, which is you know, uh, very budget conscious. So uh, that's where we're going. Uh, you'll see that this holiday. And I love this event is called CES Innovate. You are a CES ambassador, or what? What, would it, what is your title? Uh, well, um, Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Okay. And what does that mean? Uh, that means uh, you're lucky to be alive and still be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> You look pretty good, my friend. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, no, no, that's a very rare error, uh, you know, of uh, people who've really achieved something uh, in uh, consumer electronics and uh, made a, a dent in the industry. So fortunate enough to, uh, uh, last year to be uh, recognized as a CEO. I mean, I feel like I am standing next to a celebrity just because I obviously have Munster cables and Munster products all, all over my house, so it's so cool to meet you. And we're at an innovative event, so with, with you guys, you're constantly reinventing what your product line is. is. Is that correct? I mean, are you constantly looking ahead to see what's going to be next, what's going to be next? You know, there's a whole big thing with uh, startups here, you know. I feel like a, I feel like a 37-year-old startup, you know. <laughs> We always we're always starting up. You got to keep reinventing yourself, and you know our brand uh, today is uh, is as big as it was, uh, or even bigger than when we first started. So we're very proud about that. It's relevant to young people. It's relevant to you know what's uh, cool and hip, and you know the basketball players, the rappers. You know, so they they think our product is pretty cool, and it is. Uh, but I really uh, f- uh, keep looking for innovation because. You know, we're all learners. You know, we're all students of the game. And whether it's learning about business or learning about technology, uh, you know, the brilliant young people out there, you know, somebody's inventing some really cool stuff. So you got to be on top of it or otherwise you're going to be left behind. Do you have a startup program inside the organization that works with startups? Yeah, we have uh, a, uh, a program that um, uh, mentors uh, young people and uh, uh, beginning businesses. So, you know, we're doing a, uh, we do these um, innovation seminars around the country. We just did one in Austin, and uh, we'll, be op- we'll be opening up an, uh, an office in Austin. But, you know, to have, uh, you know, the kids at uh, UT, everybody's got, uh, you know, uh, a group or a club, a blog, in uh, uh, some kind of innovation, you know, it's uh, fantastic. You know, like the Silicon Valley of, of Texas, but... Uh, uh, we always encourage that, and if we can help with that, uh, we do. Sometimes we'll uh, lend our technology, uh, lend our brand, in fact. Uh, so uh, we're looking to collaborate with other companies, collaborate with startups. And if they got a technology, come on, bring it on. Bring it on a monster. Let's monsterize it. I love that. Does everyone get a segue when they come and work with you? Oh, man. You know, uh, uh, you know the segue looks like fun, but if I have my choice, I'd rather walk. But... Uh, um, 
You look very cool out there. Well, the segue is, uh, you know, Dean came in, a uh, friend of mine who uh, invented this. He's a genius, genius. Uh, and it's the future of transportation. It's part of, the, of all the talk going on right now. Well, you know, I don't know if it's a future for transportation. Uh, you know, I want to get the uh, segways that drive themselves, maybe. You know? <laughs> right. Now, where can we find more about what Munster's doing? And, and are you a, um, a writer? Are you blogging? Are you a tweeter? Where, where can we hear what's going on? Uh, uh, the company does. I don't as much because, uh, you know, I'm favored among our competitors, so I don't really like to talk <laughs> about stuff. Uh, but, um, no, uh, monsterproducts.com. You know, check it out. Uh, we're blowing up uh, Blaster uh, now. We just came back from the uh, Olympics. Uh, we'll be doing something with the Jamaican uh, track team, which is going to be really cool, and uh, hopefully make some announcements in the next few weeks about that. That's so exciting. And, of course, Munster will be at CES, where hopefully I'll be walking by your booth with some fabulous people. Noli, it has been fascinating talking to you. What an honor and a surprise for me. At Munster. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. appreciate uh, all our uh, uh, fans out there who know us. But all you young people are listening, man, uh, look us up. I, you know, I don't want to be a stranger. Lori here, your tech cat, and I've just run into Ryan Pamplin at CES Innovate of MetaVision. And Meta, of course, is one of the, the uh, sort of favored players in the AR space right now. Uh, many fanboys and girls surrounding Meta on the glasses and all the things that you're doing in AR. So, Ryan, tell us what Meta has up its sleeve. Sure. So we're working on the Meta 2 right now, which is the most immersive augmented reality that exists on the planet. Highest resolution, best image fidelity, really first time that you can not only see but touch the holograms directly. And it's such a big field of view at this point that you put on the glasses, you forget you're wearing them, you really become one with the content. And we're not really trying to just build hardware or just software. We're trying to create an experience that is a far more natural computing experience than anything that has ever existed before. Something much closer to how the real world works than how any digital device that you've ever used works. If you want to reach out and touch something or grab it, you should just be able to do that with your instincts and not have to have any kind of training or learning curve. That's the goal. So a child or a grandma grandmother can use it. We want a digital layer on top of the real world that is contextually relevant to you, to other people, to objects, uh, and ultimately we want deeper human connections with each other. We don't want to be sucked into our phones. We want to have eye contact. We want to reverse a lot of the things we've done wrong over the last 30 years when creating these machines that we've had to conform to, and instead we want to build a machine that works as a natural extension of us. So do you see then people wearing the glasses all the time? Or I see a lot of discussion about actually building contact lenses. Or where do you think the physical form of whatever this viewing thing is going to go? Sure. I think strip of glass is going to come first. So, you know, we were just talking on stage here about 5G technology and how by 2020 it's going to give you, you know, sub-millisecond latency, which means you can start to do compute in the cloud even for, you know, visual processing of, of the camera feeds uh, in 3 gigabits per second, right? So plenty of, of bandwidth to do processing in the cloud, which means we can really achieve a form factor that looks like the glasses I'm wearing right now, which is just a standard pair of glasses, 
is versus, let's say, a big, giant, bulky thing that's you know closer looking to uh, VR. Um, so today, it's really for developers. It's for getting in the hands of the tens of thousands of developers that are going to create the applications, the tools, the experiences that are going to pave the way to a much broader audience. I think even next year, with a smaller form factor, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of prosumers, knowledge workers, early adopters, and I think you give it another year, you get to a form factor that's so attractive that you and I are going to throw our phones out the window and we're going to want to have this thing instead. Love that. I can't imagine throwing my phone out the window, but I know a lot of people that would like me to. <laughs> now, what about um, what about where AR is really playing a role right now? It seems that at recent conferences, a lot of the chatter is more around enterprise. Do you think it's going to stay that way, or will it move more really as you were sort of prophesizing into the day-to-day life of a person? We're solely focused on the day-to-day life of the person. So the reality is the technology is not there. So on the path to displacing your phone, your MacBook, and your TV, we're going to need to uh, be useful in other areas. Uh, the level of usefulness that has to be achieved is, is very high. It's not hey, let's take existing applications and put them in AR because it's cool and it's a novelty. It's got to be so useful, you cannot afford to go back to the old way of doing things. That's what's going to drive a paradigm shift. When you look at Macintosh adoption and before that, even the Apple II, VisiCalc, everyone loves to say, oh, VisiCalc drove adoption, first spreadsheet application. But if you really think deeply about it, it's not wow, it was a first spreadsheet application. It was, hey, the alternative is a paper binder called a ledger. And I have to manually do the math. It's everything but collaborative. Uh, and it's error prone. And it takes orders of magnitude more time and resources to, to do my accounting that way. The machine saves so much time. There's no way you could ever imagine going back. That's the level of usefulness that AR can create, will create, and ultimately has to create to drive adoption uh, in the enterprise in business, in the way we work, the way we play, the way we shop, the way we learn, collaborate, communicate, every facet of our life, except for maybe swimming, because it's not waterproof yet. So I love that. So people who didn't see the TED Talk and and read about you, what are the latest, latest announcements right now that you could share with my audience? Sure. So Meta 2 is on the verge of shipping. It's $949. You can get it on metavision.com. It'll be shipping in mere months. And this is really the the largest ecosystem of developers building uh, AR experiences you know, that you see through a, a head-worn device. So tens of thousands this year, next year, and it's affordable. And that's really important because it's not the big giant brands who are going to create the experiences. It's really the guy in the garage. And you do have the big brands too, but I think you're going to see the killer applications uh, that blow minds and, and change the way that people, you know, live and work uh, from, you know, places you might not expect to see those come from. So it's really, really important to us to get it in the, the hands of the people with the vision and enable them for the first time to really make their augmented reality dreams come true. So you're really focused on building out your developer network and having entrepreneurs leverage your platform to sort of build the next thing. Sure, it could be an entrepreneur at IBM or at Autodesk or at a big car company or it can be a guy in his garage who has a big idea. Uh, It doesn't necessarily... Uh, have to be limited to any of those. In fact, what we're trying to build is really a general purpose platform uh, that is, you know, useful to to everyone. And that's really challenging. It requires us to build an entirely new kind of operating environment and ultimately operating system that is spatial. We're not trying to put windows on your face or Android on your face. You don't want flat panels on your face. We want to put something that is volumetric and 3D and have you interact not with buttons or links or, or menus, but instead with your hands, you know, with tactile sort of tools that you can hold and use uh, that resemble things you might use in real life. 
That's fantastic. Now, where can we learn about the latest with Meta? Certainly metavision.com uh, is a great place to do it. We have a blog where we post a lot. We have a YouTube channel where we post a lot of videos. Everything we show is real, shot through the glasses. That's really, really important to us. Um, we want to set you know, real expectations. It is a technology that people are really excited about and blown away by. Sometimes people get a demo and they get a little emotional. Um, for me, it's something I've been dreaming about since I was seven when I first got glasses. And I feel like finally the technology and what I've been dreaming of are finally the same thing. And this is an incredibly exciting, transformative time. We're going to look back in you know 10 years and we're going to laugh that we limited ourselves by the dimensions of these screens uh, and worse, the flatness of these screens. You know, Our field of view as humans is so so much larger than you know any device we use today uh, and ideally the best device is going to disappear and you know the digital content is just going to seamlessly blend into your world uh, you are uh, kind of blowing my mind away right now <laughs> is there any last question ar thing that has come out maybe not from meta that you thought was really well done and intriguing and are, you're hoping that things move in that direction uh, well, I'm grateful to Pikachu for all of the awareness that has been spread worldwide. I would say one of the most surprising things and exciting things, which we were just talking about on stage, is you know China is very bullish on AR, not just for the novelty, not for industry, but actually for education. I had uh, a minister of education uh, tell me there that they have more students than we have people in our country, and that they believe within the next couple of years, all students in China will be taught using augmented reality. So I think you're going to see students learn much faster, they're going to be much smarter, they're going to be much more knowledgeable, and I think you're going to create a, a generation of people, of, of you know young people who are going to inherently uh, get older and, and go into the workforce and do all sorts of things, they're going to have knowledge in all sorts of areas that a textbook could never provide. If I want to learn about a human body and I want to pick that body apart and learn about all the different aspects of it or go deep into the brain, a textbook isn't going to allow me to peel back those layers and turn on and off things and you know perform mock surgeries. But I can do all of this in AR uh, and I think you know, we're going to create people that have much more refined skills and much deeper knowledge of subjects that are traditionally incredibly hard to learn. So I'm really excited about sort of the democratization of knowledge as a result of AR. Again, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> I'm just imagining my six-year-old, soon seven-year-old now, who is so familiar with Alexa that voice activation is normal to her. So now I'm wondering, okay, well, in the next couple of years, will AR be so normal to her, you know, just like a regular thing? So, Ryan, are you a tweeter, a blogger, a poster yourself? Where can we follow you? Uh, at Ryan Pamplin, P-A-M-P-L-I-N, on Twitter uh, and Instagram, but more Twitter. Uh, and you'll see me pop up in a lot of the YouTube videos and uh, hopefully at more great CES events uh, coming up soon. Well, we have been talking to Ryan Paplin from MetaVision, and what a treat. Uh, Meta has been all over the news about being the AR company to watch. So, again, fangirl, Lori H. Schwartz here, your tech cat, um, kind of foaming at the mouth to get my first Meta glasses. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. Lori H. Schwartz, your tech cat, continuing to broadcast at CES's Innovate event here in lovely San Jose. And I just ran into the fabulous Gail Carpentier um, of TechSoup, who's actually applying social good to technology. So, Gail, tell us about what TechSoup does. 
Oh, thank you, Lori. I'm so glad we bumped into each other. TechSoup is a nonprofit based in San Francisco, and we exist with one basic concept in mind, is that nonprofits are essential for the world to work the way that it should. The number of safety nets get less and less every single day. And we really work with organizations to make sure that they have the technology and the infrastructure so they are maximally able to to benefit the world with their services. And we're really quite agnostic about the services. And so if you were... uh, working for a nonprofit or volunteering more likely. And in the U.S., you know, there's about 1.7 million 501c3s. The vast majority of them have budgets. Then they run effectively on less than a million dollars a year, which is just crazy making. And we know that in every single one of those organizations, until they're about like 4 million in size, when they can hire an HR director or an IT director, someone's going to turn to you and say, Lori, oh my God, you made the printer work. And you're going to go, toner, I, I put in toner. And they go, no, no, you know this stuff. Now, now let's network everything together and talk to me about online fundraising and maybe we could do social media thingies. And you go, toner, I, I just did toner. So you can come to techsoup.org and help yourself become an ad hoc IT professional. You can learn about an amazing array of things from webinars and forums to blogs to all kinds of content, totally free of charge. And I came on board in 2001 at TechSoup as their chief business development officer to create what was the world's first online philanthropy program. So we were able to work with companies like Microsoft, Cisco, Symantec, Intuit, and hundreds of others now to be able to automate the yes-no of their philanthropy. So they have in their own minds who they want to support. And it's always personal. Every single one of these organizations has a very clear vision. And so not every product is available to every person out there because going bankrupt for philanthropic purposes is a really, really bad idea. And part of why I'm here at Innovate today is to try to find other companies who may want to participate in our programs. We now reach nonprofits across all 236 countries around the world. And all whatever country you're in, all you need to do is come to us and register. And we validate you by your mission, by your budget, by your physical location, as well as by your operating budget. And that's not your overall budget. Budget because we just care what it, what you are using to keep your lights on, get the doors open, pay your staff. And then our, we work with a huge array of companies to be able then to map their philanthropic goals to those levers that we, we track for the nonprofit. They can request anything that goes into the card. It looks like e-commerce because that's what it's built on. But a special engine that we created pops up at the end of checkout to help that organization find out in seconds if they qualify. So for instance, Microsoft doesn't care what your budget is, but if you're in healthcare or if you're in uh, education, you are in fact going to be working with a different division of Microsoft, so you would be blocked from getting anything through the product philanthropy program. Uh, Some products are available only to organizations at certain budget sizes, or in many cases some mission types are excluded. We have a new donor that's just launching that of everything they could exclude by mission, wanted to exclude nonprofit country clubs, which is actually a thing. It's a little, little strange, but it's true. But in any event, the nonprofit can find out in seconds that they qualify for something, at which point they pay TechSoup a small administrative fee because we are, in fact, powered largely by those pennies on the dollar. And that means two things. One is that we get to focus on them writ large because we are able to go through excuse the airplane flying over, we are in downtown San Jose, of course, and 
that means we're not waiting for a foundation grant or a government check to say, we love what you do, TechSoup. Now go spend it in some corner of your activities. The sector lets us focus on them. And so year over year, we're able to work with folks, build a database, build our knowledge of how nonprofits are structured, and to be able to recognize where they live in every single country on the planet. And so we've extended programs for Tableau, for Microsoft, for Bitdefender, um, a number of other organizations that are growing. We've distributed over one billion in tech on behalf of our donors. The nonprofits are stronger, our donors get their needs met, and we get a chance to fulfill our mission, which is to help those organizations do the work that they're meant to do. Well, you, you said that all so great. <laughs> 15 years, you know, you get, you get some practice. So but I also have the pleasure of working with some amazing human beings, both in our headquarters in San Francisco, folks in our foundation, TechSoup in Warsaw, and in satellite offices around the world who are equally passionate about doing the work we do. Yeah, I, I love the uh, social good to plus tech uh, tech vibe. Um, you, you were telling me before, and I think this is fascinating, that you've created basically a dashboard of, of companies that are charities so that other companies now are coming in and leveraging that dashboard to find out who's a charity. Is that correct? Well, that's true. It's basically through an API, through our validation services, because up until about a year and a half ago, if this rich international database of nonprofits, and if PR Newswire isn't kidding me, we are at this point the biggest congregator of nonprofits that has ever existed, which says a lot because nobody was paying attention to that. And so now, if uh, World Bank, for instance, or uh, Google for Nonprofits, Office 365 donations through Microsoft, will use our database to confirm somebody is a nonprofit that fits their giving criteria they have in mind. And so you're not waiting for months for a giving committee to explore a paperwork to do some research. We can do that in real time, which in the 21st century is essential. And, and it's a little amazing, too. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Are you seeing any trends in giving right now through your platform that are very different from previous years? It is evolving. It's, it's interesting. You know, for instance, when we started uh, the platform in uh, early 2002, it took a little while to figure it all out. Uh, we found that, for example, people were very concerned that uh, about giving to, to religious organizations. So many of those folks were you know, put in the same bucket as uh, advocacy, which will tend to polarize people. And so we found over the last few years, though, people have been looking more at the fact that there's so little proselytizing in the vast majority of religious organizations and so much social benefit that most of our major donors now fully give uh, to folks in the the religious organization bucket. And the same thing, we also are, I'm working with a group internally that I created called Major Market Development, which maps um, a very different pathway for folks. So we were always designed to be a web interface for a single nonprofit to come and self-register, benefit from our programs, our content, and, and the resources. And at the same time, that if you, if you are representing an organization and you have 25, 30, 100 sites, you're never going to spend the time to come and manually register that on our website. So major market development essentially reverse engineers this organization. In fact, right before I sat down with you, I was working with the head of the Central Territory for Salvation Army, trying to figure out how we get their hundreds of sites to benefit from our program so we can save them hundreds of thousands of dollars because they qualify for the philanthropy we have. We just simply haven't mapped to their internal structure. So it gives us a chance to benefit all those numbers profits meet the needs of our donors which is essential and we also get a chance to do our own mission as well so it's very exciting times 
I love hearing you talk because it makes me feel like I'm doing something important. <laughs> well, Gail Carpentier, it is so great to talk to you. Talk Soup, Tech Soup. So where, where can we learn more about Tech Soup? Where can people go to learn more about giving or your platform or all these wonderful things that you're talking about? Sure. Uh, I would say I would send anybody to meet.techsoup. Uh, that's our, our international landing place for people to come through and learn about the organization. If you're in the U.S., just Tech Soup. And yes, it is Technology Soup, T E C H S O U P dot O R G. And you will see a, a good overview of what we do. There's a drop down at the top of the page about uh, the different countries that we serve. And you can go country by country and look at the different programs because they vary by each uh, geography. And just one shameless plug while you're there, sign up for our weekly e newsletter by the up. You can also sign up for new product alerts and learn what new pro offers are going to be coming forward. And we have a lot of people we're excited to uh, be working with, and we're glad to have a chance to tell the story to you, Lori. So great. Well, you've heard it here from Gail. Tech Soup, check them out. Check them out. They're bringing social good to tech. I love it. I just love it. Thank you so much, Gail. Thanks, Lori, so much. Thanks for taking, giving me the chance to chat with you. Lori H. Schwartz here, your tech cat, still at CES Innovate, and we are about to talk to a good friend of mine who I've known for a long time, is doing amazing things at CES and other shows across the year with her Living in Digital Times. Robin Raskin, tell us about Living in Digital Times. So this was like an idea that always bugged me from the minute and I started in this business a long time ago when I saw the potential for women in particular to get involved with technology. And I said it can't just be about a bunch of geeky products. It has to be about what they do to make a better life for you. And over the decades I've been watching this, we're seeing it play out. We're seeing now the emphasis not so much on the greatest, latest technology, but on how is this going to work for me? What are the life-changing products? And if you've talked to Alexa, she's a great example of something that, you, whether you're five years old or 90 years old, you just go, oh, my God, I can talk to this thing. And she talks back. So these groundbreaking moments that bring tech and make it more accessible to everybody is what we focus on. So you do actually panels and sort of really cool like fashion shows and all these different things that create context around the tech. Exactly. So we figure you can walk through miles of aisles of things, but so we have, for example, a family and kids area. What are the tech products that change their lives? Whether it's a kid learning to code or robots or AR for kids or whether your family's out on the street playing Pokemon. We have a fashion show where we take young designers who are actually working with new fabrics, embedded sensors, 3D materials, and designing amazing stuff. And combining that with some of the great accessories on the market now, like jewelry, and um, we do literally a runway show getting people jazzed about the future of fashion. This Last year, we started Digital Money, because we know we're all, today we're paying with our mobile phones, tomorrow you and I may be trading chickens or bitcoins. I'm not sure which one, but um, the idea of money and the fintech the personalization of how we spend, where we spend, why we spend, becoming a behavioral science. So that's pretty fascinating. We've gone into cybersecurity. And again, because people personally were starting to feel violated. Uh, so what you have all these new products at CES. Who's thinking about security in these products as the Internet of Things starts to happen? Uh, we do digital health, which has turned into one of the biggest pieces of our show because we really thought that the world 
healthcare was going to change, people were going to have to take more in their own hands, and technology was going to enable them to do that. So how do you decide what to build a conference and section of the show around? Because there are so many trends floating out there. So you talked about fintech, digital health, cybersecurity. Do you just wake up and go, we need to create this? Or, Or do people write you or CS calling you? Or how do you come up with these ideas? So it's a combination of a lot of things. So CES, we know, 176,000 tech fanatics. They're not all interested in everything. They've all got businesses to run. So what motivates them? Who goes to the show? So I look at the list and say, oh, my gosh, every bank is here. Every investor is here. Why aren't we doing something about how digital money plays in? We're all in the business. Um, Where I stay away from are the things... I don't particularly know the entertainment industry, um, the TVs, CES, it's a core competency. They've been great at it forever. They're great at cars and drones and transportation. But I'm at, if it touches the human, we do transforming education too. I think um, the, mo- the best thing to happen to us are some of the technological changes that are letting everybody have the opportunities to learn whether you're retraining because your job was just lost or whether you're, you know, just living in, in Mumbai. Um, so we tend to look at who goes to CES, what communities do they need built that we can help them build, what stories can we tell around those communities, and where our core competency is, which is really humans first, and... Um, Stay away from the things we're not so good at. So a lot of creating context around how behavior and tech are impacting each other and then the business categories that are spinning out from them. So you're at CES, and I know you're at CES Asia. Where, where else are you? Oh, so we, uh, we were at CE Week in New York. Uh, we do some, uh, some work. I was in CIO City in Amsterdam this summer. I've been in Nigeria trying to help them get started on their digital path. So I really think um, that we, CES is a fabulous show, but I think we're just saying I'm personally interested now in sustainable cities. So as I've watched us grow from desktops to mobile devices to wearables, I think now we're going to start to broaden out again and say, how can we make our cities and our countries more sustainable? How can we do business internationally? And where that takes us, I think it's a big world out there. And the way I see CES, and I love it because of this, you march along your different ways all year long. I do cars, you do televisions, you do toothbrushes. And once a year, the entire technosphere comes together and says, whoa, look at what we've done and maybe my toothbrush would work with your light switch and that's when kind of like the china silk road you march up and down and when you get to the bazaar you trade ideas and innovation flourishes you are a mazatron um where can we learn more about where living in digital times is so visit livingindigitaltimes.com and you can see all the things we do. I also write for Huffington Post, which I love doing so much. So you can read my column on Huffington Post in technology. So at Robin Raskin or Robin Raskin? Yeah, just search for Robin Raskin on Huffington Post and there you have it. And just for one quick overview, at CES 2017, what summits will you be curating so we can keep our eyes open for them? Okay, so you'll see digital health, sports and fitness, uh, family tech, uh, digital money, cybersecurity, um, kids at play, the last gadget standing, our big contest, the mobile app showdown, transforming education, 
uh, fashion wear, baby and beauty tech, two that we're really excited about that are new. Who knew there would be beauty tech? And, um, and we're doing a new one, another near and dear to my heart, called 10 Under 20 Young Innovators to Watch. Young kids who, you know at that age when they just, they're nerds and they're not quite fitting in, we've got companies sponsoring their efforts and giving them scholarships. I wish somebody would sponsor my nerdiness. Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> and we've, we started in New York. We're bringing it to Vegas this year. It's phenomenal to watch a 12-year-old just fulfill their dreams. Mm-hmm. Robin Raskin, Living in Digital Times. This is your Tech Cat signing out. Thanks so much for listening to the Tech Cat Show. Please join Lori H. Schwartz again for another great program next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel and syndicated to the Voice America Women's Channel. 